Hola, this is Enrique Morones of Buen Hombre, Magnificent Mujer, with another uh, wonderful podcast produced by Sarah Bella and your host, Enrique Morones of Gente Unida. Continuing with our very important podcast, especially in this time that we're all living in, which is um, a very, very challenging time, but I know we shall overcome as long as we all keep our spirits up, work together, uh, rise up. And I can think of nobody better at rising up, and she is a magnificent mujer, than my dear friend, Tish Lampert, who's joining us from Los Angeles. Tish, how are you doing? Oh, thank you so much, Enrique, and everyone at Gente Unida and Sarah. It is just a blessing to be here with you today. Well, thank you. And I know that you're, uh, you've got a, a distinguished career, a photojournalist. You work with the United Nations. You've been to in the heart of a lot of these very, very uh, incredible moments in our history, Rwanda, uh, the U.S.-Mexican border. You have done a lot of work. And, and what I usually do when I start these podcasts is I ask my guests to tell us a little bit about who they are. Even though I might know some of the things, I like the person themselves to introduce themselves. So why don't we start by uh, your answering, who is Tish Lampert? Tell us a little bit about yourself, maybe um, where you grew up, you know, how you, how you got started and everything. Oh, that's such a good question, I think, especially at this time, because I know we're all doing a lot of reflection. Um, you know, I have been around the world with my camera for, gosh, I think it's almost, it's over five decades now, which is a long time. So I'm not a youngster, even though I am absolutely enduringly young at heart. Um, I first began the work and the focus that I have with all of my work, both photographically and writing, um, I'd say at the end of the 60s, during a time where I felt I was impacted by political events going on in the United States, having been raised and born and brought up in New York City as a th third generation New Yorker, to a very prominent family. I was brought up actually, you know, kind of sequestered from uh, what I would say is a way to experience life for those that are struggling. I was brought up the opposite of that. I went to an all girls school. And of course, I, I look back on that now with, uh, you know, tremendous, uh, interest in how that impacted me, great education, but so not prepared for the world. And uh, I was brought up elite. And so when the world started to implode as a part of the peace and love generation, I felt not only was I inspired to leave my neck of the woods, but I actually felt a certain responsibility now to begin to tell the story, <clears throat> pardon me, of those who were struggling, who were meeting the challenges of daily life, depending on what side of the political spectrum people were on. So for me, it was right after Martin Luther King was assassinated. I first got my camera in 1968, 
And the first time I remember bringing my camera with me without any full sense of what I was doing with it because I was 18 was when I went to hear George Wallace at Madison Square Garden. And it was an eye-opening experience because what I found was such segregation outside the arena. I found this almost intent to create hardship and perhaps uh, unjust conditions for those that were peacefully responding to having George Wallace in their city. So it was a spectrum of groups. And what I saw really compelled me right then and there to pick up my camera and create work with it that would then drive me throughout my life as a narrative photographer to tell the stories of those who perhaps may not have their stories told. So let me go and jump forward a bit to the 70s and my time in England when I covered a multitude of humanitarian issues there. And one of the things that I felt very inspired by was to find stories that, again, no one was telling. So in London, I was, you know, in my usual beat of being a freelance photographer, mainly covering rock and roll in the 70s. One of the things that happened was I kept noticing families being forced off their land in the M1, M4 roadway area that they were going to be making the first throughways out of London. And they were forcing these farmers and these families off their ancestral land and putting them in dull housing. So that was my first large narrative story. And from there, I want to jump ahead to returning to the United States and my work in Los Angeles, which covered a multitude of issues, everything from how uh, we were saving our mountains in those days. I lived in the Santa Monica Mountains, so I was part of a group that was documenting uh, widespread uh, landowners and developers and trying to completely dest destroy my backyard because I was living uh, on a ranch at the time. But then more importantly, I think my heart, my soul would always return to those who were struggling. So it wasn't unusual for me to find that I was looking to document my good friends, Matabu and Mizizi Kunene's efforts to create the end of apartheid in South Africa. They had been greatly affected by uh, just widespread imprisonment and execution by members of their family and people that of course were in South Africa at that time. And they began house gatherings to create a way to network, to all work together. I started photographing some of those gatherings on a small scale. And then I want to just perhaps spread my net a little further to include that because I was living in the Santa Monica Mountains near Malibu, we were very aware of the origin and the beginnings of Cesar Chavez's movement to create a farm, a farm workers union, which for me started a bit in my backyard 
with the protests against buying grapes commercially, and also, of course, when Martin Sheen began his day laborer union for uh, workers who would come across to work for the day had no protections, including making sure they were getting paid. So I began to cover all of those issues. And then after that period of time, my lens turned to the indigenous community. And I then started working with Norman Patrick Brown in the Navajo Nation and created art programs for youth there. And also at the same time, the parallel of the upheaval that was going on in the Navajo reservation with a lot of violence and protests, et cetera. We were there intermittently, but I found myself very compelled to try to at least bring that story back to some of our cities in the United States or throughout the West, that's for sure. Um, I want to say, Enrique, that perhaps there have been times in my life when I have been quite reminded of the responsibility of witnessing history through the lens of a camera, being the only person there. That has happened to me on several occasions. And I want to perhaps conclude your question with a few visual uh, perceptions here. Um, I've been arrested three times uh, politically. Um, one was just one of these bizarre experiences, but it was in 1967 when I first left the United States. I was actually taking my high school trip out of the country for the first time with a friend. And as we were in the plane about to land in Athens, Greece, we were told the country had fallen into a coup d'etat. <clears throat> and we were young and completely without any guidance. Of course, we were well-funded by our families, but our host was on the wrong side of that political crisis in Greece. And so when we landed, we were whisked away to Aena Island, and we were then, of course, waiting till we could get out of Greece. Well, I was one afternoon taking a swim, and in the side of my eye, I started to hear a lot of rumbling from the shore. And I got back to, you know, the beach and I'm in a bikini and I'm noticing children and women being rounded up and forced onto a truck, which freaked me out. I had never seen anything like that. And I went running up like dripping wet still. And I started cursing the officers and the military out only to then be trucked away to their local uh, detention quarters and to be actually told they could detain me because I didn't have my passport on me. Well, because I had mentioned to you, I came from prominent roots, of course, I mentioned that to them, and they were aware of that, but let's remember, we're in a coup d'etat. It was a mindful experience of, for me, what kind of protections Americans had in those days, but moreover, that, you know, I felt that this was a certain responsibility I took instinctively then, and as you know, this has followed me 
throughout my whole life. So I just want to say there have been many experiences that have indeed impacted my choices of what I do with my camera now, five decades later, and where I feel it's important to tell a story. And of course, no more important for me from my heart and my soul, but from when I met you in 2008, when Obama was accepting his nomination for president, and I was just very intrinsically and quite sincerely inspired by you. And so that is when I first had the opportunity and the privilege to work with you to try to put as much of a light as we can on the difficulties, challenges, and suffering of the migrant community. Well, you definitely have had a um, front row seat in uh, many of the earth shattering events in world history. You started with uh, 1968, when we not only lost uh, Martin Luther King, but of course, Bobby Kennedy. And as you know, Tish, uh, I've developed quite a um, following of the Kennedys because Mrs. Ethel Kennedy was key in my getting more involved with human rights. When I met her at uh, one of the Cesar Chavez um, ceremonies after he passed away, I was sitting there with the Cesar Chavez family and Mrs. Kennedy at East LA College in Los Angeles. And she said to me that she had heard about my work and why hadn't I moved back down to San Diego? And she recommended that I move back down to San Diego. And I said, yes, Mrs. Kennedy, I'm moving back next year, which was 1994. But having that front row seat that you've had has been unbelievable because you've been involved in lots of different things from uh, you know an epic year in history, 1968, and everything that was going on back then, I was still in in grammar school, so I was seeing it, looking up, kind of you know what was happening to the 70s and being involved in rock and roll, where I believe, as a big fan of rock and roll, that the 70s were the greatest decade, uh, the greatest musicians, some crossover 60s, 70s, 80s, but the 70s to me has been. Um, the, the main decade of, of rock and roll and, and you having a front row seat, not only to document by taking pictures, but with your husband, Jim, being involved in films. And you're telling me the many rock and roll people that you've met, had at your house, once again, you know, being in the front row. And then in the eighties and the nineties, and you're always right there, you're always right there, but there's a difference between being right there and actually doing something about having that front row seat which is one of the things that you've always done, Tish, is that you've taken these pictures, these photographs, told the story, and been involved in, on the side of social justice. And that's one of the many reasons I really admire you. And I do remember when we met back in 2008. That's when I was about to be interviewed on Al Jazeera, which I was. And I was going to debate Tom Tancredo, that uh, very racist congressman, formerly congressman from Colorado, but once he found out it was me, he backed away. He knew that I would basically have his lunch, and he decided not to go on the air with me, so I had a five or six minute uh, interview with the host of, of Al Jazeera that day, and then afterwards we were able to go into the stadium and hear Senator Obama accept the nomination to run for president, and boy, do we need, do we need Barack Obama today.
Uh, so, so your front row seat has been spectacular, but you have not only been watching, you've been doing something about it with your camera, whether it was in Greece or whether it was in London or whether it was on the border where we've, we've shared a lot of moments, historic moments together as well. And as you're going through these different eras in your life, coming from a all girls uh, prep school, wealthy background, to being in Los Angeles today, and like all of us, struggling to see where we're going to get our next our next paycheck because we're 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 trying to be as giving as possible, as uh, informational as possible, but we're limited, unlimited on what we can do. And and uh, the the last time that we did something major together, which we'll talk about in a little bit, was when you did that fantastic photo exhibit at Mount St. Mary's College up in Los Angeles, in the hills, up in the wealthy Los Angeles area. So you're continually moving through these epic moments in history, and you're so full of energy. People tell me that I have a lot of energy. It's nothing compared to what you do. So that's one of the amazing uh, parts of, of your life, uh, Tish. And, um, and it seems like when you're going through, whether it's the Navajo Nation or whether it's the being in South Africa, you have been at some of the major events in, in world history. And I don't know how it is that you arrive there and then it happens or it just happened and then you show up, but you're always at the right place at a key time and you're always doing something about it. So I just want to recognize that and tell you that's why I love you and I admire you so much because you're right there. You are a magnificent mujer. So, so as oh, a magnificent wow. mujer, um, <laughs> what's your secret? Well, I want to just pick up a couple of things that you said, because I think right now at this time, this is such a nurturing opportunity for us. Um, so let me go back to Ethel Kennedy and the Kennedys and how you were asked you, you were called, actually. Um, I feel like, you know, we hear those kinds of words from the Obamas or from, you know, some of our politicians. But, Enrique, you were called to go above and beyond your life, your world, at a time when you didn't have to. You were, you know, extremely prominent and successful as a businessman, as an author, uh, you know, working for the San Diego Padres. Your history was rich with prominence, and yet you chose to completely and utterly focus on those that were really being marginalized and vulnerable and suffering. And I say this because, boy, are we all of us today being called. We are being called to um, really step out of ourselves. So to be able to, I also have to echo Martin Sheen in that because um, when, when I think of Martin Sheen, I think of um, why and for what reason I may continue to show up on the trail on the, on the path of documenting not only this history, but our history, which I'll mention in a minute, because you know I've just finished a book that's out. But one of the things I feel that's important for all of us to absorb 
is that we don't realize that we are all witnesses to history. Now, I may find myself in places that are more obscure, remote, and quite risky, as in the Democratic Republic of the Congo uh, at the end of the war, when I, by myself, with Kathy Austin, was on a dirt road in an area that was surrounded by rebel soldiers with AK-47s chewing brown brown stoned out of their mind and out from nowhere on a dirt road come this group of women and children holding a sheet painted with end violence for women that was 2006 and I myself was already working on trying to document and chronicle our country's efforts to really step up for the disenfranchised. And I was cataloging protests then, which then became the book that is out, which we'll discuss momentarily. But that moment in history, in time, it was because I had had all those previous moments in history where I realized, my God, you know, Tish, you're the only one standing here with a camera. This is going to come and go if you don't chronicle this and document this. And it became a very famous photograph for me. But more than the photograph, every time I find myself either, it's like you, Enrique, every time I find myself either too exhausted or without the stamina or feel I've been there, done that, do I need to do that again kind of feeling, I am mindful of these women and children who took their life in their hands to get out there and to call out for help. So I wanna do a big shout out to Hente Unida, everybody that is working with you in your organization, because it's not like you guys are not going through your own restrictions and struggles now individually, but you are coming together to try to help the disenfranchised and the most vulnerable. So when you ask, what's my secret? My secret is really to be inspired by people like you. Well, that's, uh, that's really nice of you to say that. Um, yes, or a couple of days ago, I was talking to a, a, a dear friend, Josefina Lopez, the woman who's done also a magnificent mujer, maybe best known for her, her play then movie, Real Women Have Curves. And we were talking about spirituality amongst many things we, we spoke of. And I talked about, and we both talked about certain moments in our lives where there was this uh, kind of out of this world experience that, we, that kind of helped us along. And one of mine was actually in 1968, I was in grammar school, I was at my parents' house. And uh, we were sleeping in a different bedroom because my grandparents were there. So my older brother and I were sleeping in another room. And right next to me was a bumper sticker that my father had given me. And it was a, a sticker of uh, Robert Kennedy's campaign. And I remember that I woke up in the middle of the night and I had a weird feeling and I saw the sticker and it was, it was dark. So I don't know how I was able to see these shadows, but I saw some shadows there that made me feel very uncomfortable. So I called out my brother's name and finally I looked over at him and he woke up and I said, something happened to Robert Kennedy. And he said, you're Ooh. dreaming, you know, nothing happened. And then the next morning was when we found out that he had been assassinated at the Ambassador Hotel in Los Angeles. Well, that was one of many experiences that I've had in my life. And then later on, 
Ethel Kennedy has become a big part of my life. And I've met Rory, her youngest daughter, who does documentaries. Not too long ago, I met Congressman Kennedy, who was, was here in San Diego. So these moments that are kind of out of this world experiences have continued to play a big part in my life. And one of them was when you invited me to go speak at a church in Los Angeles where Cesar Chavez used to organize. And you said, yeah, Martin Sheen's going to show up. He's interested in hearing what you have to say. And I, I got to admit, I, I was doubtful. I thought, yeah, right, Martin Sheen. <laughs> so just as I was about to start speaking, who walks in the door? Martin Sheen. So these, these spiritual moments that have taken place and these people coming into our lives, I don't believe any of them are coincidences. Mm-hmm. I've always yeah, believed there's other powers that come into play. And you've had these huge moments, like you said, this, you know, this car or this, this, this group of women that came by you with, with a, a sign that says, end violence for women. It wasn't a coincidence. You were meant to be there. And, and then, but the mm-hmm. difference between these things that happen to all of us as far as witnesses is that you take action. You just don't w- witness it, but you take action. And that's so important. And that's something that a lot of people do not do because it's easier just to stand by and not do nothing. But you don't stand by. You do something about these various issues, whether it's with your camera, whether it's with your book that you just uh, wrote, uh, whether it's by your actions, your activism, being, like for example, when we met at Angel's Restaurants, just outside of the stadium in Denver where Senator Obama was about to accept the nomination for president. I don't believe in coincidences and that's why we are, we are witnesses to world history. And you have taken not only the moment, but done something with each one of these moments to make a better world for all of us. Wow. Well, that is such a, you know, it, it, first of all, let me say, I think our work is just about to begin, if you want to know the truth. <laughs> and I want to tell everybody, you know, I have a book that premiered and launched worldwide. And my first excitement upon selling my book, Rizzoli published this book, We Protest, Fighting for What We Believe In, um, was, oh, I'm so absolutely mind blown. They're publishing the book worldwide. So let's just look at what that is for all of us who are artists and authors and playwrights and humanitarian leaders like yourself with organizations that are just um, calibrating themselves at a time now when everyone is just pulling back and they just can't support but themselves. So we have all of the nonprofits, we have the artists, we have the um, historians, we have the thinkers, we have the people like Sarah who works with you, who is an extraordinary um, uh, imaginator who creates events to help. We have artists um, who, like Sarah's mom, we have artists like all the artists that work with Hinte Unita and have worked with you and the work that I just did up at Mount St. Mary's University, who really are now in a very serious struggle. And I'm bringing this up to say that we are once again being called. We are once again perhaps not 
allowed to sit on the sidelines. You know, I think sometimes when you're in a historic moment and you have the adrenaline of being there, for example, I have been in conflict zones. I went and photographed the Soldier of Fortune convention in the 90s, where suddenly in front of me, they let out 300,000 rounds of firepower. I completely lost my hearing, but I had to photograph it because I had never seen anything like this. So you're either at a time like this when you could be with your camera photographing the world coming out against the war in Iraq, or you could be with your camera photographing the door of hope that Enrique Morones created um, based on his support from people like Ethel Kennedy and Betty Ford and all of those that have helped you figure out a way to get people who were deported to come together again. If you're there with your camera, you aren't ever going to think I'm going to sit back this, by the sidelines. So now we are time, we're at a time we're in our most, I think, worldwide, most important moments. So I realize my book comes out worldwide, and of course, the world is shuttered. And what does that look like? And you know what's intrinsic and what's spiritual and what's powerful is here you are, Enrique, calling me as an author of a book that's sidelined or preempted by COVID-19, giving me a chance to really celebrate my life and my work for everyone who's going to listen to this. What a blessing and what a gift from you and, and from the people you work with. So I just have to say to all of you, I mean, certainly I would love all of you to be aware if you have, you know, extra dollars to spend, maybe one of you buy the book and share it. But my book is available on Amazon. And um, I think you can get a deal if you <laughs> buy it because everybody's looking to promote all the authors from the spring books this year. I'm not the only one that is struggling with a book out. And people, of course, are not thinking about incidental purchases because as all of us, we need to be thinking of how to come together and help. And it's like you had mentioned, we aren't... We are at this time cumulatively. Our voices really are coming together to help each other. So the prime, my prime hope, my biggest uh, gesture of, uh, of connectivity today is to reach out to everyone to say, please reach out to Hente Unita, go to their website. Please tell them what do you need? And also please help them supply that need to the undocumented community and to the migrant children who are stranded in Tijuana in these shelters right now who have nothing. They've lost all their education. They've lost all the NGOs from the United States have pulled out. They've had to. And so our audience here today cannot sit by the sidelines. Actually, $1, $2, I hate to, I feel like I'm on a Telephone. But this is the point. When we talk about what we do and not just sit by and watch, we're at that clarion, we're at that almost lifetime moment here where it's calling for all of us to actually 
do something. So as I, with my camera, will continue to record history, my heart and soul is thinking of all of you and what do you need? And how can you tell Enrique and Hente Unido what's really troubling you? So I'm hoping that through my interview today, we can have a greater ability to reach more people with that message. What do you think, Enrique? I agree 100%. And, and uh, you, you mentioned Sarah Mondragon, the wonderful work that she does in web design and her mom being a, an artist. and yeah, we have these really committed group of people that want to do the right thing. And I know that a lot of the people that are going to be listening to this are going to say, where can I get the book? So how can somebody go on Amazon and find your book? Oh, thank you, Enrique. I'm really grateful. And they're also free shipping now. <laughs> okay, so it is called We Protest, Fighting for What We Believe In. And that title has special meaning because each and every one of us are in our own way protesting what we need in our life right now. So let's call this a shout out to our collective voices. It's also a reminder of something powerful. And that is when we do raise our voice, when we come together, actually, there isn't anything we can't handle. So let's think beyond ourselves, but if you can support me and my book and my project, um, you go on to amazon.com and you'll find it by the title. You can also go on to Barnes and Nobles. And if you live in an area where you wanna support your local bookstore, uh, they have in fact stocked their bookstores with my book. Uh, I don't know in San Diego where that bookstore is, but um, you can write to your bookstore and ask them to stock my book. But if you would like to get a copy of the book today, please support me by going on to Amazon. And let me say this, that we are going to be doing a fundraiser for Hinta Unita coming up. Maybe Sarah could uh, help us understand a little bit about how all of the artists and authors and contributors are going to do something to donate so that when you either buy art virtually online or buy my book online or whatever you can do to join our effort um, to support Hente Unita so they can in fact do what Enrique does best, which is to look at the void in his community and throughout communities that are struggling and suffering and provide instant help. I saw you do that during the multiple caravans last year and the year before since Trump has been president. Enrique, you have done this for decades and we need you to be doing this today, which would be to supply those that have no ability to get food, no ability to get medicines, old people that are feeling alone and scared and they just need reassurance that people are there to help them. Please go to Hente Unita's website and see if you can contribute. So maybe Sarah or Enrique, you can explain how, for example, I will be providing a couple of original artworks to donate to your effort, but maybe we conclude this with an opportunity to tell everybody how they can buy my book and at the same time, um, go to your website to perhaps purchase a first edition print of the cover. Yes, well, we're going to have all of that information at henteunida.net. And then, of course, we're also going to have the information on when 
hombre.org and also magnificentmujer.org. And we really appreciate, uh, you know, you're, you're providing some donations. So people can say, hey, I want to bid for that. I want to, you know, purchase your book. I want to get a hint they'll need a t-shirt. And, th and there's also where you can buy it is actually genteunida.shop. And uh, all of that will be, will be available very soon. But before we conclude, because I could talk to you all day, because you've done so many amazing things and you continue to do so. When you mentioned the door of hope, some people might not know what that is, but that's when I was able to get six times the... Um, the door between San Diego and Tijuana at that horrible wall at a place called Friendship Park. I was able to get the authorities to open the door, even though it was only for a few minutes, and children could hug their deported parents or grandparents, sometimes for the first time in their lives, sometimes for the last time in their lives. And we really need those hugs now, although we gotta keep the social distance. That's why your book, your podcast, this podcast, are more important than, than ever. Tell us about your podcast because you have interviewed some, uh, some fantastic people on your podcast. For example, Jonathan Yost, uh, a good friend of mine who mm -hmm. tragically passed away last year. But he's an example of, of doing the right thing for the right reasons. While tragically, this past year, we have seen people take advantage of situations and they do things for the wrong reasons, to promote themselves. They, they, they have been opportunists, and I don't want to talk about individuals or anything like that, because I want to keep this positive. But somebody that was very positive, and he tragically died last year, was Jonathan Yost. And we need more people like Jonathan Yost, like Hugo Castro, like Andrea Rincon, like Tish Lampert, like Sarah Mondragon. We need more people like that that are positive people and are doing positive things in spite of the egos and the, you know, the, the uh, other people that are more interested in money and, and, and self, self uh, uh, adoration. We need people that are really willing to help and they're giving their all like Jonathan did. Mm. Well, I want to, first of all, thank you for, first of all, thank you for, mentioning Jonathan, who uh, really was such an inspiration to me. And I want to ask everyone to please go to America Speaks with Tish Lampert. That's my podcast. Um, you can find it on Apple Podcasts, on Libsyn, on Anchor, on SoundCloud, on Stitchers, the whole gambit. America Speaks with Tish Lampert. Let me say, the very first series of interviews I did. Jonathan was my first guest, along with Ivan Seya, Justina Mora, Carla Estrada, and Arlene Ferdinelli. Um, Martin Sheen was supposed to join us that day. PCH was closed. And I can say that I am extremely touched and in eternally affected by having had Jonathan on the podcast. When it was time to talk about himself, we learned nothing about Jonathan because he completely spent his 10 minute introduction to talk about Enrique and the water drop program and what Enrique had planned for Friendship Park at the time. And he did such an extraordinary 
extraordinary commemoration of Enrique Morones and what he had in his heart and the bravery that Enrique has demonstrated. And I'm not sounding like a fan here. You can actually go to The Immigrant Narrative Must Change, which is the title of the episode with Jonathan Yost. It's our third or fourth episode because as we started to roll out our episodes, then I was very privileged to be able to go with Justina Mora and Carla Estrada to Martin Sheen's home to record what would have been the first discussion. And at that time, it set the pace and the tone for what Martin believed was very important is that we all are responsible for each other. And I wanted that message to be so important. But to go back to Jonathan, you know, Jonathan exemplifies the selflessness that I think we're all being asked to experience and to promote today. And it's with a huge and a very sad heart that we we all miss him so much. Um, I look at the upheaval in some of the work that you are doing, Enrique, and I often think it would be less inclined to be as vulnerable as it was should Jonathan be with us today, because he was so outspoken and he was so commanding in the way he got everyone's attention to do the right thing at all costs. So I'm very proud to have on my podcast, I've had Enrique Morones on three times, incredible episodes. Please check out each one of them. Um, and some of them are quite spicy, including when Enrique and I talked about Chief Rodney Scott and his uh, 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 real uh, actions to close Friendship Park and to uh, close the entire Door of Hope program, which was so unfortunate. Uh, and so please go and listen to that, because I want to just mention to everybody in closing that something happened to me personally, that day when I photographed the Door of Hope. You know, as a photographer and a photojournalist, we have a tendency to exploit perhaps difficult experiences that people have together, and yet our lens is on them, capturing those emotional moments. And I felt that as my camera was portraying couples who had been apart for 10 years or a grandmother who hadn't seen her grandchildren or a sister who hadn't seen her sister and was just so mortally affected, just so emotionally stung by the separation. They had to be pried apart when the three minutes was up. And then knowing that each of these 12 families only had three minutes to be together, what would that look like? What, why three minutes? And my camera kept cataloging this and kept covering it. And yet each time I thought to myself, am I the only one where my face was literally dripping wet with tears, not because, you know, I was rushing or trying to get every moment from a self-interest, but because I was part of everyone's emotion that day. It was so strong. I want us all to just close our eyes and to visualize that because we are really capable of great things as a humanitarian society today. We not only will get through this illness, but I think we are also, all of us, truly um, coming together in a way 
that really is quite reflective to all of us who experienced that day uh, during the door of hope where there wasn't one person who was different from another. Does that make sense to you, Enrique? It does, and I guarantee we will have that door of hope open again because we will have a new administration and we need to get out there and vote this November. This, without a doubt, will be the most important election in our entire lives. And that's why it's so important to, to be aware, to have your eyes wide open, to take action, to realize that there's people out there with bad intentions and people with good intentions. Because these types of situations that we're living in right now bring out the best and the worst of people. And you, Tish, are the best. And if you could just remind us uh, once again, how do we get that book? Because I'm still waiting for my copy. It was such a shame that after launching the, the book at Mount St. Mary's College, then the virus came. You and I were, are supposed to be in New Jersey right now, right now promoting your, your <laughs> On the book, stage. But we can't travel. <laughs> we can't travel and, and so forth. But people right now, you know, we got to look at the opportunities we have. We have an opportunity now to read more, to become closer to our families, you and Jim and your family and so forth, being closer together. We, you know, these are blessings in these very difficult times. So if you could remind us once again on Amazon or elsewhere, and we do want to have the book here in San Diego as well, but how can we get the book right now? Well, I thank you for this support, Enrique and Sarah. I want to say that we could, all of us, if you go on to Amazon.com, it's called We Protest Fighting for What We Believe In. And we can remember that. We Protest Fighting for What We Believe In on Amazon. You can also go to Barnes & Nobles. You can even go to Target, actually, because they really did a worldwide net of the book because the publisher believes in it. Rizzoli Books published it. If you want it in Spanish, you can order it in Spanish, I believe. It is available in a multitude of countries. It is available in Mexico, in Spain. But you know, look, people right now are fighting for their lives in some of those countries as we are here. I think what I would like to echo is it will actually inspire you and those who are feeling good, who want to be a part of the solution. What it also does is it reminds you of our fight together because the book is written in a narrative that at the very end of the book is the greatest protest of all, and that is your right to vote. And my book actually begins with the most, I'd say, eye-opening experience I've had, which was, and I have photographed a lot of inaugurations, but I photographed Donald Trump's inauguration where everybody who was there was in tears because it was alarming, but I think it was a premonition of what was to come. The book begins there, but it's about you. He's not the focus of this book. This book is about your activism. In fact, let me say to everybody, if you protested for anything in the past four years, you could very well be in my book if you live in any major city in this country. I've been there. I've photographed you. You're in this book. 
And then, of course, it does conclude with voting. And what I would like is please write to me at americaspeakspodcast at gmail.com or go to my website, www.tishlampert.org, or reach out to Enrique at henteunita.net. Let us know what you think about my book. Comments will be placed, and we could begin a virtual conversation. And then also, I want to just say that when Enrique says voting is more important than ever, please everybody stay tuned because Hente Unida is alive and vigorously planning how they can come to you to help your community get out the vote. So I look forward to supporting that in the weeks and months to come. That's right, Tish. And we also have the book I wrote, uh, the Power of One, The Border Angel Story, that's also available on Amazon and hentonita.shop, where you can also get Hentonita t-shirts. And we've got to talk about having your book available with us as well, because we want people to be Absolutely. active. Because love is an action, not just a word. And that's why I really appreciate uh, you, Tish, in, in your lifetime of being not only in the front row, but being involved in making change. And we have the podcast, we have um, buenhombre.org, we have magnificentmujer.org, we have gentonida.net, the website, and then of course gentonida.shop. And uh, Tish, I really want to thank you for your lifetime of being in the front row of your lifetime of dedication to being on the correct side of justice. And we have a long journey ahead still. I know that uh, we're not spring chickens. But we have a lot of uh, life to live still. And this difficult time, like you said at the beginning, I think is an opportunity. It's very challenging. And we, we can't forget that two of the people we mentioned at the beginning, Martin Luther King and Cesar Chavez, their first activism was actually registering people to vote. A lot of people don't know that, but that's mm. how they started their activism. And uh, people like Martin Sheen and, and Josefina Lopez and and Jonathan Yost, they have dedicated their lives to being on the right, on the correct side of justice. And some people have given it all, like Jonathan, like Robert F. Kennedy, John F. Kennedy, Martin Luther King, Cesar Chavez. We still have some of these wonderful people with us. Another person we're gonna have on the podcast, a dear friend, Dolores Huerta, who was side by side with Cesar Chavez with the United Farm Workers. And I just wanna thank you, Atish, for your lifetime of dedication to social justice, all the sacrifices that you made to be able to do, to make this world a better place. And you're a perfect example of that love is an action, not just the word. Oh, what an absolute pleasure and privilege it was to be here today. Enrique, you inspire me and you have inspired me and you always will. Thank you very much. Please be sure to stay tuned. Buen hombre, magnificent mujer. And what a magnificent mujer Tish Lampert is. Muchas gracias. Todo mi amor. Stay tuned as we move forward on this fight for social justice and to promote that love is an action, not just a word. Muchas gracias. Amor, si se puede. <laughs> <laughs>